and he's going to move. So let's just pray that, that the Holy Spirit would uh, would come here. And Lord God, we, we thank you, Father, for your word. Lord, we thank you that it is living and active and powerful, God. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would come into this place, God, and make your word alive to us. And God, that, that your Holy Spirit, God, paired with the words on these pages, God, is the, is the, the living, inspired word of the Father. We believe that now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, uh, Paul is kind of recounting uh, Israel and what had happened to them from the exodus from Egypt to uh, coming into the promised land. And uh, he, he's just kind of gone through everything that they did, some of the high points. And he, he says this about their, their journeys from Egypt to the promised land in verse 11. He says, uh, all these things happened to them as examples for us. They are written down to warn us who live at the time when this age is drawing to a close. So what he's saying is, is that the stuff that happened to the Jews in the Old Testament whenever they were journeying uh, from the promised land is uh, lessons and examples that we can apply as New Testament believers to our lives. And uh, so that's really cool to me. And it really opens my, when I, when I first understood that, it really opened my eyes uh, to uh, reading the Old Testament. And so whenever I do read the Old Testament, I try to, I try to look and see the, the uh, types and examples and lessons and how they might apply to my life as a Christian uh, who is justified by faith in Christ. And so uh, one of the warnings that he recorded actually happened in Numbers chapter 11. And uh, we are going to go there. So if you want to turn there, like I said, you might want to keep your hand in 1 Corinthians. And uh, what was going on was is that you're probably familiar with the story and that while the Jews were in the wilderness, God uh, was providing this wafer-like substance called manna uh, for them to eat. And uh, every morning they would go out and the manna would be on the ground. And so each family or each um, individual would go out and gather the manna that, that they needed for the day. And then they'd go back and they'd make bread out of it and crackers and uh, whatever you could think of. I imagine they got creative because they ate the stuff for 40 years. <laughs> and uh, But this was right at the beginning of, of the Exodus, really kind of in the middle. And, and the Bible talks about this people group that was with the Jews uh, that's identified as the mixed multitude. Uh, some translations call them the foreign rabble, uh, but, but the New King James uh, Version calls them the mixed multitude. And, and it was a people that was with them, and, and, and these people started to uh, complain because apparently when they were slaves in Egypt, uh, the Egyptians would feed them fish and other kinds of meat all the time. And uh, out here they just have this manna, and so they began to complain about not having meat to eat. And essentially they were complaining against God because God was the one who was giving them the manna 
uh, it was a lesson to teach them to rely on him for his sustenance. And here they are complaining against God. So, in Numbers chapter 11, I'm not quite there. In verse um, 31, we, we see what happens after they're complaining. And one more page. Verse 31. Now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall into the camp and all around it. For many miles in every direction from the camp there were quail flying around three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all that day and throughout the night, and all the next day too, no one gathered less than 50 bushels. They spread the quail out all over the camp, but while they were still eating the meat, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people, and he caused a severe plague to break out among them. So that place was called uh, Kibrath Hatava, the graves of craving, because they buried the people there who had craved meat from Egypt. So, uh, a couple of things arise from this, and the biggest question to me is, who are these mixed multitude? Who are these people? Uh, and, and where did they come from? So, uh, Exodus, uh, we won't turn there, but Exodus chapter 12, verse 37 and 38 give us a little bit of insight on, uh, on who they are. It says, uh, this is when they were coming out of Egypt, and it said, Then the children of Israel journeyed, journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. And it says, A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. So this mixed multitude appears to be uh, a diverse group, mixed, and a large group, multitude, that, that came out of the Egyptian nation with Israel as, as the exodus out. Is that a word? Exodus? As they, as, as they came out of Egypt and, uh, during the exodus. And, uh, you know, the Bible says a little more about, uh, where they came from. Uh, you know, the reference in Numbers 11 is, indicates that, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting a little bit off here. The reference in Numbers 11 about the quail indicates that uh, the mixed multitude was with Israel for at least about a year after that initial Passover uh, when, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, applied the blood to the door, and uh, the firstborn of everyone who had applied the, the blood of the lamb was spared. But the, if you didn't have the blood of the lamb on your door, the firstborn was killed. And that was a final plague against Israel. And so it appears that they were with them for about one year after they came out of Egypt, at least. And that would mean that they were present with Israel uh, at the Red Sea crossing. That would mean that they were present when uh, God gave the law at Mount Sinai. And uh, the mixed multitude uh, seemingly not only saw God's power like the Egyptians did, but it appears uh, from, from the text that they partook of God's grace with Israel. And, uh, you know, with Israel, they, they ate the manna. They drank from the rock that is identified as Christ by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, and they were baptized in the cloud and the Red Sea uh, with Israel. 
They were partakers of God's grace, not just viewers of it. And this is kind of unique in Old Testament times because Gentiles, which is the name for anyone not a Jew, uh, you're a Gentile if you didn't know that, uh, but Gentiles were, were not typically offered the grace of God in the Old Testament. And so it's a very unique thing in Scripture. And uh, the Hebrew word for multitude in Exodus 12.38 is rab. Probably not pronouncing that wrong, but R-A-B, rab. Uh, and it means much, many, great. So we know from, from this that the mixed multitude was probably a, a very large group. Uh, in other parts of the Bible, uh, whenever Israel was a very flourishing nation, a very large population, the same word was used to describe uh, the population of the Jews. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I can only guess, but, but the, the context and the, the definition of the word indicates thousands, maybe even millions of people uh, that were mixed in with with Israel. And uh, the Hebrew word for mix is very interesting. It is Ereb, E-E-R-E-B. And uh, it's used only 11 times in Scripture. You can, you can Google or uh, search uh, Exodus 12, 38. And uh, if you find a website that has a concordance, you can do a search on that word and it only is used 11 times in all the scripture. Uh, once here in Exodus 12:38, and again in Nehemiah 13:3, those are the two times that it's translated mixed. But the other 11 or the other nine times that it's used in scripture, uh, it's it's uh, used kind of in a different context, and it, it's all in one passage in Leviticus chapter 13. And the passage isn't about people at all. It's actually a passage about uh, where God is giving the laws regarding uh, if a leprosy or an infection, uh, some, some translations call it a mildew, gets into a cloth uh, or a piece of fabric. It's the laws regarding that fabric and whether or not somebody can keep it. That's kind of confusing, right? Uh, but it's going to make sense in a second. So... Uh, before uh, we get in, and I'm actually going to take you guys to Leviticus 13 uh, to read that passage, but before we get into that, I just want to uh, define these words a little bit more, this word Arab. Um, so, uh, Arab is literally translated to the English word woof. Uh, has anybody ever heard of the word woof? I had not before I did this, this study, uh, but it is a word, English. It means mixed, interwoven, knit, knitted material. It is further defined in the context of some of the translations as mixture, mixed people, mixed company. Uh, its sister word in the Leviticus 13 passage is warp. Uh, and warp and woof are weaving terms. Uh, if, if you had a weaving loom, the warp are the primary threads that run horizontally to the loom, and the woof are the vertical threads that intertwine uh, between the warp to form the cloth. And uh, so both warp and woof are essential to the integrity of the garment, and they work together to form it. 
so you get the idea. It's, it's terms of interweaving uh, threads to form a material. Uh, and so now that we kind of understand that, that weaving terminology, let's, uh, let's read that passage. And I'm actually going to pull it up on my phone here so that I can uh, read you New King James, which actually uses the terms warp and woof. Uh, verse 47 of Leviticus 13, it says, Also, if a garment has a leprous plague in it, whether it is wool, a woolen garment or a linen garment, whether it is in the warp or woof of linen or wool, whether in leather or in anything made of leather, and if the plague is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the leather, whether in the warp or in the woof or in anything made of leather, it is a leprous plague and shall be shown to the priests. The priest shall examine the plague and isolate that which the plague, which has the plague seven days. And he shall examine the plague on the seventh day. If the plague has spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof, in the leather or in anything made of leather, the plague is an active leprosy. It is unclean. He shall therefore burn that garment in which is the plague, whether warp or woof, in woolen or in linen, or in anything of leather, for it is an active leprosy. The garment shall be burned in the fire. But if the priest examines it, and indeed the plague is not spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof, or in anything made of leather, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the plague, and he shall isolate it another seven days. Then the priest shall examine the plague after it has been washed, and indeed the plague has not changed its color. Though the plague is not spread, it is unclean, and you shall burn it in the fire. It, it continues eating away whether the damage is outside or inside. If the priest examines it, and indeed the plague has faded after washing, washing it, then he shall tear it out of the garment whether out of the warp or out of the woof or out of the leather. But if it appears again in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof or in anything made of leather, it is a spreading plague. You shall burn with fire that in which is the plague. And if you wash the garment, either warp or woof or whatever is made of leather, if the plague has disappeared from it, then it shall be washed a second time and shall be clean. This is the law of the leprous plague in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or woof, or in anything made of leather, to pronounce it clean or to pronounce it unclean. So that is the passage, the other nine times that that word is used, that word mixed, ereb, uh, woof, is used uh, nine times in this passage, the other two uh, referring to the mixed multitude that was among Israel. That's important to know. Uh, the language gives gives uh, implication on what God was intending to say. Uh, now, when God called the Gentiles among the Jews a mixed or Arab multitude, he is speaking metaphorically by using the weaving term woof to define the Gentiles who he was intertwining into his nation, Israel. The interweaving of these Gentiles into God's grace uh, to Israel is further demonstrated in God's provision for a foreigner living among them. I'm going to flip over, and you can come if you want, to Exodus chapter 12, where God gives provision for these foreigners to live among Israel. In uh, 12.48 it says, If there are foreigners living among you, 
who want to celebrate the Lord's Passover, let all the males be circumcised. Then they may come and celebrate the Passover with you. They will be treated just as if they had been born among you. But an uncircumcised male may never eat of the Passover lamb. This law applies to everyone, whether a native-born Israelite or a foreigner who settled among you. So it seems clear to me from these passages that if the Gentiles are the woof, Israel is clearly the warp that God was weaving them into. The key characteristic of warp and woof is unity. They work together to make one fabric. Uh, Israel and Gentile together made one nation under God. They became one physical nation under God's law. God used the warp-woof metaphor to demonstrate that He can turn a, di- a dichotomy to, uh, to very separate uh, entities, two very separate people into a unity, a union. Uh, it describes how God works with His people. And this is perhaps uh, one of the greatest demonstrations of God's grace to the Gentiles in the Old Testament. Like I said, it, it wasn't a common thing. It was fairly rare. Uh, he was offering this mixed multitude the opportunity to become uni- unified, and interwoven with Israel as an integral and essential part of the nation that he was building. And uh, so, you know, I kind of surmise about who the mixed multitude might have been. I imagine that they could have consisted of some Egyptians who saw the power of God in the plagues, uh, saw that Moses was prophesying these things and then they were happening and uh, hearing what was going to happen and believing and potentially defecting from Egypt. Uh, you know, I think that they were probably also at uh, people who were under uh, the subjugation of Egypt, other nations who had been conquered by this world power and who were brought into Egypt as slaves, uh, who, who also had faith at hearing the prophet and seeing the works of God and believed and, and united themselves with uh, Israel. What we do see, and what is clearly implied by their name, is that they are—they were likely not one ethnic group, but a mixture of many ethnic groups. And uh, you know, this is typical, and points forward to how Christ was slaughtered for every nation, every tribe, every tongue, uh, as as is indicated in Revelation five nine. Now, like I said, this was a rare thing. God did not typically offer His grace to the Gentiles before Jesus. Uh, in fact, Joshua, whenever he was coming into the Promised Land, was commanded not to mix with the nations surrounding Canaan after the conquest. Uh, in fact, he was he was he was ordered to eradicate most of them. Uh, and and uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, but, but what we do know and what I can attest to without going into the details is that God was just in His judgment of those nations. Uh, the moral fall of Solomon is attributed to his love for foreign women who, who served other gods. And, uh, you know, and, and, and God had told them not to mix, not to marry with those, those other nations, those Gentile nations. And, and the Bible indicates that that was the downfall of Solomon. Uh, as a good, God-fearing king. 
And also remember, I, I said that there was one other place where uh, Ereb is translated mixed. And that's actually uh, in Nehemiah 13, verses 1 through 3. But the mixed multitude of Nehemiah's time was actually wholesale rejected by God. In fact, uh, after the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, Nehemiah and the leaders were, were reading the law. And, and they read in the law that, that the mixed multitude, which, which consisted of the Ammonites and the Moabites, uh, were not to dwell amongst Israel because of their, their harsh treatment and persecution of Israel when they came out of uh, Egypt. And uh, they actually hired a prophet named Balaam to curse Israel uh, whenever they came out. And for that reason, God rejected them. And so this mixed multitude, which was woven into Israel, was uh, like, like, like the leprosy, torn out and rejected. And um, so in all of these instances, God did not choose to weave the Gentiles into his chosen people as he did with the mixed multitude of Exodus. In fact... God did not offer a, another wholesale opportunity for Gentiles to be included in His grace until after Christ had died uh, and resurrected. And uh, really, it, it kind of all began in Acts chapter 10 whenever P Peter had a vision from God uh, and God told him that, that he should no longer consider the Gentiles to be unclean people. And uh, it was at that time that there was a Roman centurion named Cornelius, and Cornelius had a, had a vision that he should uh, send his servant to get Peter, and it kind of coincided with that dream. And then uh, Peter went to Cornelius, and Cornelius was born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, and that began the uh, ministry of the gospel to the Gentiles. And uh, as we know today, the, 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 the church and, and Christ and, and uh, the grace of God and the gospel is offered, is offered to us as, as non-Jews. And so uh, Exodus 12, the mixed multitude, actually points forward to Acts chapter 10, where we see in Exodus 12, we see the, uh, the physical mixed multitude, the Gentiles being woven into physical Israel, it was uh, typical and symbolic of uh, the interweaving of uh, spiritual uh, Israel with us Gentiles by, by, by unification in Christ. And so it's a really neat thing. Uh, and and the, the Bible does that over and over again. It, it, the Old Testament points forward to Jesus and his ministry over and over and over again. Uh, so I asked the question, why was the mixed multitude of Moses' time accepted, but the mixed multitude of Nehemiah's time and all those other Gentiles from the mixed multitude up to Christ, why were they rejected? And I thought about it, and, and keeping in mind the types and the shadows and the symbols, the thing that the mixed multitude of Moses' time had and experienced that no other Gentiles that, that mixed with Israel had was the Passover lamb. They partook of the Passover lamb with Israel. And here's why I know that they did. Think about this. If they were in Egypt, and then they came out of Egypt with Israel, then I cannot see how it could be possible that they didn't heed the advice of Moses and apply the blood of the lamb to the door to save the firstborn son. I don't see how that could have not happened. 
you know, and, uh, and so, and so they, they had faith. They believed in the word of God and they applied the blood of the lamb and they were grafted into God's grace and interwoven to God's grace to his people Israel. And as we know, the, the, the Passover lamb is a, is a, type of Jesus who died for our sins, who when we apply the blood of the lamb that was slain to our hearts, uh, the, the wrath of God passes over us and we are justified by faith, believing in the lamb and, and applying him to our lives. And so I believe that that is is why uh, God allowed these people to to be interwoven with Israel and his grace to Israel and not other Gentiles. Uh, it was a it was a perfect picture of what he was going to do through Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, a, a scripture, uh, Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. No other Gentile nation could be grafted into the grace except for those who partook of the Passover lamb. Uh, so that was, so, um, that was what was missing from Nehemiah's mixed multitude. In fact, Nehemiah, uh, you know, I talked about it. He, the reason, the reason why, uh, God said that they could not dwell with them was because, uh, of their persecution and their harsh treatment of Israel. Uh, they rejected God's plan to bring Israel into the promised land. And, and likewise today, all who reject God's plan of the gospel and of Jesus Christ, uh, cannot be made right with God. You know, it, it's a it's a it's a picture of of God's justification by faith in Christ. Um, so, let's see. Now, shifting uh, gears back to the passage in Leviticus 13, I would like to point out just a few uh, key things. The first thing is is that in Old Testament scripture and in New Testament scripture. Uh, leprosy is always typical of sin. It is a uncurable, deadly disease that infects and multiplies, and and there 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 was no cure except for the supernatural, and 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 it's it's typical of our sin that is a deadly infectious disease in which there is no cure except for the supernatural uh, death burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is that is the, the the picture that we should get when we see leprosy in the Bible is that of sin. And it is of note in that passage uh, the patience that God tells the priest to have with the leprous garment. You know, he says, uh, I don't I don't know this quite perfectly by memory, but he said, look at it, if there's leprosy uh, isolate it for seven days, then pull it out and uh, wash it, and then look at it again. If it's if it's still the same size, then put it away again. And and uh, you know he even said there was there was one part about if if um, if it's not growing but it's still there, you can you can rip it out and keep the good part of the cloth. And there's great patience there, and 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 slow process to burn the garment or to destroy the garment. And this is typical of God's mercy, grace, and long-suffering uh, with believing Jews, the warp, and Gentiles, the woof. And uh, in fact, in, in 2 Peter 3, 9, uh, I really like, like this scripture. It says, For God is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. Uh, in in uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter said to Cornelius, after Cornelius was born again, he said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. So while God calls from every nation, only those who believe and obey the gospel are accepted and interwoven into, into His grace. Uh, Romans 9, verse 29 says, He is God of both the Jew and the Gentile. He justifies both the circumcised and the uncircumcised through faith. Uh, Galatians 3, 28, Now there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. And uh, Colossians 3, 11, Christ is all in all. So you see, what, what God is doing is, He's bringing a very diverse people, even today. He's bringing a very diverse people, a mixed multitude, and He is interweaving us into His grace by, by our faith in Christ. And the overwhelming warning in it all to the warp and the woof, to those interwoven into this, this people of God, is that of leprosy or sin. You see, sin, according to Leviticus 13.51, can contaminate either the warp or the woof. It doesn't matter, Jew nor Gentile. Uh, sin sin has, has the ability, even after we have believed, to, to contaminate our hearts and infiltrate our hearts. And if sin is not dealt with, uh, God will tear it out of the garment, as commanded in Leviticus 13.56. And as seen in Numbers 11, uh, sin struck the mixed multitude who were given the grace of God to come in, and it, uh, it, it, uh, it, it cost them the promised land. It cost them their part in the promise of God. It cost them, uh, you know, mortally, uh, did their sin, even though the, they had, they had partaken of, of the grace. And many of them died in that resulting plague, uh, Potentially, you know, killing them all, but at the very least, reducing them to a very small minority amongst the Jews who are never mentioned again in Scripture, except for in this reference in Nehemiah chapter 13, which is actually a totally different uh, people, totally different group. And uh, so God's Word does not clearly define what happened to the mixed multitude or if any of them survived the plague. But what we do know is that those who began in God's grace followed their lust for the ways of this world and their sin destroyed them. It was the end of them. And one of the key intentions of God uh, for His people, Israel, and one of the key intentions for uh, us, spiritual Israel, uh, who have been born again, is that we be holy, separated from the ways of the world. Uh, Leviticus 20, 26 says, And you, Israel, shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. But when the mixed multitude died in their sin, they lost that separateness from the world. They lost that, 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 that holiness, that separation in God's people from the ways and the, and, and the sins of the world. And it's really a tragedy to me. It's a, it's a, it's a story of great missed potential. Uh, it's a story of, uh, these people who were nobodies in Israel. I mean, in Egypt, just like Israel. And, um, 
you know, God brought them out with Israel. Uh, they experienced the great grace of God along with the power of God. And, it, uh, and this mixed multitude was positioned to experience all the blessings that God had for Israel. But they missed that potential because of their lust for the things of the world. Uh, so, we kind of boil this down now to, to practical. Uh, to me, that's cool stuff. <laughs> All this, uh, metaphor and, and symbology, it's neat. Uh, but, but how can we apply this to our lives? What are the warnings that we see that, that Paul said, all of these things are examples for us who live now at the end of the age? Uh, the first thing is this, for, uh, not all who hear the gospel and unite themselves with the church uh, are actually believers. Not everybody who hears the gospel and is in the church has been born again. Uh, Hebrews 4.2 says this, For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. You know, Jesus said that, that many will call him Lord, and many will proclaim all the works that they did in his name. Uh, but only those who obey God through believing the gospel will enter the kingdom. So it seems that some, like the mixed multitude of Nehemiah's time, and perhaps even uh, some of the mixed multitude of Moses' time, uh, who lusted for the meat, uh, are, are those who connect themselves to God's people, not by faith in Christ to be reconciled to God, but for what they can gain in excitement, experience, recognition, etc. from the church. It's not about what I can give to the kingdom and to the Lord. It's about what can the church do for me? How can the church uh, tickle my fancy? And uh, these are the ones who seek after the satisfaction of the flesh rather than uh, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And we have to be aware of these people because, uh, you know, the Bible indicates that it wasn't just the mixed multitude who began to lust after the meat that the plague came against, but also those Jews who they drug into the lust of the meat with them. And so, uh, you know, the, the Bible talks all about in the New Testament, there's warning all, there's warnings all through the New Testament about, about people who come into the church to create division, people who come into the church to create discontent. They focus on, on, on a, on a feeling or on emotion rather than the Word of God, uh, rather than the doctrines of the Bible. And, and if we're not careful, we'll get carried away with those lusts of the flesh in the church and find ourselves in the middle of a plague in the camp of God, you know? And so uh, that to me is the first thing that, that I see as a warning to us today is to beware of those who are not in the church because they love God, because they're born again, because they've trusted in Jesus, but because they're trying to get something from it. Uh, and we have to be careful of those people. The next thing uh, we must heed uh, is that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. And you see, so many believers partake in the grace of God only to allow the lust of this world to contaminate them with the leprosy of sin. 
whether the warp or the woof, God will not tolerate sin. And like the garment, He will rip them out of His divine plan and blessings. Now, uh, you know, just to be clear, I believe once a person has sincerely trusted in Christ, that that person is born again, that that person is going to heaven, that, that even if that person backslides or whatever you want to call it, if their faith in Christ was genuine, that person is justified once and for all and their sins are paid for and they're going to heaven. So I don't mean to imply that, that, uh, that we would lose our salvation, uh, should we allow sin into our hearts or, uh, not, not to sin, but to allow sin to rule over us and to dominate us. But, uh, you know, there are a couple of things that we need to realize. Uh, and I'm just going to read you a couple of scriptures to kind of nail these things down. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5.10 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Uh, turn with me to... Second uh, Peter, Second Peter, Chapter One, starting in verse three. It says, as we know Jesus better, His divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. He has called us to receive His own glory and goodness. And by that same mighty power, He has given us all His rich and wonderful promises. And He has promised that you will escape the decadence all around you caused by evil desires and that you will share in His divine nature. So make every effort to apply the benefits of these promises to your life. Then your faith will produce a life of moral excellence. A life of moral excellence leads to knowing God better. Knowing God leads to self-control. Self-control leads to patient endurance. And patient endurance leads to godliness. Godliness leads to love for other Christians and finally, you will grow to have genuine love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more you will become productive and useful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop these virtues are blind, or at least very short-sighted. They have already forgotten that God has cleansed them from their old life of sins. Now here's the thing, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Why? Doing this, you will never stumble or fall away, and God will open wide the gates of heaven for you to enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, another another translation, I think the New King James says that God will prepare a glorious entrance for you into His kingdom. One more scripture. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3. To me, this passage is one of the greatest warnings in the Bible about the cost of a believer who chooses not to follow after the Lord, but rather to follow after the lusts of the world. 
one of the clearest passages at the least. First uh, Corinthians 3.10 says, is Paul speaking, uh, Because of God's special favor to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any other foundation than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Now anyone who builds on that foundation may use gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But there is going to come a time of testing at Judgment Day, that time that we just read about when we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, of testing at the Judgment Day to see what kind of work each builder has done. Everyone's work will be put through the fire to see whether or not it keeps its value. If the work survives the fire, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. Now here's, here's why I believe that we won't, we won't miss heaven. It says the builders themselves will be saved, but like someone escaping through a wall of flames. That's a heavy passage, you know. Uh, that's a passage that makes us evaluate what since I've been born again, what am I doing with my life? What am I building on this foundation of Christ that was given to me as a gift? You know, the Bible says that you were saved by faith, not by works. And that is a gift of God. What are you building on that foundation is the question that we should ask ourselves continually because one day on the judgment, we're all going to stand before Christ. We're all going to stand before the Lord. And aside from all the promises in the Psalms and in, in the prophets and in the New Testament about God's provision and protection and, 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 and the, the spiritual and physical blessings that we get in this life, one day we're going to stand before God. And the Bible says that if we... Uh, like the mixed multitude, have followed after the flesh, after having received the grace of God, that we will be saved, but we will suffer great loss. Now, I don't know what that is. I can't tell you what eternal great loss is, but I know that I don't, I don't want to be the one who suffers great loss at the judgment. I want to be the one whose work survives and who receives a great reward. So, uh, in closing, we'll go to 1 Corinthians 10-12. I want to, this is the last scripture I'm going to read. 12-13. Uh, this is right after what we read at the very beginning, where he had gone through uh, all the stuff that happened to Israel, and then he said, um, all these things happen as examples for us who live at the end of the age. Very next verse, verse 12. If you think that you are standing strong, be careful, for you too may fall into the same sin. But remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. What does that mean for us? 
That means that in the midst of trial, in the midst of temptation, uh, whenever, whenever we are feeling weak, whenever we've been defeated, whenever we've fallen, if we will turn to the Lord, He will strengthen us to not walk according to the flesh, but to walk according to the Spirit. And to get back on track and to begin to build those works that will one day endure the fire. You know, I think of, I think of Peter when he, when he walked on the water. Miracle. You know, it was a miracle that he was on the water. Just like it's a miracle that, that, that you and me, a sinner, could be saved by grace by, by, by just trusting in Jesus Christ. But he began to sink. He began to fall. Just like you and I have before, just like we probably will in the future. But the Bible says that he reached out to the Lord. And the Lord grabbed him and raised him up. And they walked back to the boat together. And you know, it's not in our strength. It's not in our strength that we do these things. If, if, if it was, then nobody would ever fall. But it's in the strength of the Lord. Amen. So let's, let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you for your good word, God. We thank you that it is living and powerful in our lives. And, uh, God, I pray that we could heed the warnings of, of this mixed multitude, Lord. And, and, and God, that, that we would, uh, beware of those, God, who would, uh, entice us in the church to complain against you, Lord, to not be satisfied with your plan or your, your methods, Lord God. And, uh, Lord, Father, help us, Lord, to just set our hearts on you, on the word, Lord, on worshiping you, Lord God, uh, in spirit and in truth, Father. And Lord, I, I pray that, that you would uh, lead us, God, and, and put a great conviction in our hearts, Lord God, not to follow after the ways of this world, God, but Father, to be a separated people, God. And Lord, I, I pray that you would uh, just begin to, to gently put your hand and identify those things that are, that are, that are wood, hay, and straw in our lives, Lord God, that, that are, that are wasting our time, Lord God, that are, that are wasting our energies and our resources, God. And, and Father, I, I pray that in Jesus' name, that you would help us to get our, our eyes on things eternal, Lord. And when we fall, Lord, I pray that you would, that you would uh, empower us by your Holy Spirit to, to reach out to you, Father, and to, to be lifted back up and to get back on track. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you never give up on us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.